That's just the way, isn't it? You don't want trouble, but sometimes trouble wants you. Get me to the soldiers that came by this morning. Hello, fine people. This is Chance Solem Pfeiffer, one of the hosts of Be Real here on the Playlist Podcast Network. But I'm flying solo today, an actor interview with Ashling Franciosi, who stars in the new film The Nightingale. If you don't know it, maybe you know Jennifer Kent's previous film, The Babadook, came out in 2014, one of the major cult horror hits of recent years. And if there's a tie between these two films, as many smart critics and thinkers have pointed out, including on the Discourse podcast with Ryan Oliver last week, uh, it's the portrayal of trauma, the, the horror of life, the horror of scars that life can leave on you, and also just what Jennifer Kent is willing to make you look at in a movie. So the Nightingale set during the Tasmanian War of the 1820s at a time when the Brits were brutalizing the Aboriginal populations of Australia and also exploiting the penal system uh, in place there to more or less create indentured servants out of people who had committed petty or survival crimes years and years before. So as you might ascertain from that description or having read anything about this movie, terrible, terrible things happen in it. Traumas of the deepest kind are inflicted on Ashling's character of Claire, who is an Irish woman essentially in that place of helpless indentured servitude to a British army lieutenant played by Sam Claflin. Um, and those terrible things, the things that happen to her, make her strike out on a journey of vengeance through the bush to find uh, the officer played by Claflin and another played by Damon Harriman. Uh, they are extremely good in this movie. Ashling is extremely good in this movie. It must be said that Bakerly Ganambar, who plays the Aboriginal man who guides her through the bush, it's his first acting role. He is very good in this movie. Um, and one of the best bits that Ashling talks about coming up, just to tease it, is what it was like to play a character who ha- who suffers horrible sexual violations, but is also racist against Billy, the tracker played by Bakerly. Um it's one of those challenging dialectics that has come to define Jennifer Kent's work. And it's, it's quite provoking to watch her tell a story that is not that strange. It's a revenge story. It's an Australian version of a Western, but just really make at least me think about biases and the biases that help Hollywood take it easy on a lot of its viewers and what happens when you rip those away. So here we go with Ashling. She also has some great things coming up to say about, frankly, just being ready to play women, not girls. Um, the things that Jennifer Kent would let her do on set to get ready. And also, I wouldn't leave you without this, that time she was cast as Lyanna Stark on Game of Thrones. Let's talk to Ashling. I'll sell my rock, I'll sell my real. Sell my only spinning wheel. You know what it's like to have a white fella take everything you have, don't you? To buy my love a sword of state. Hi, Sam. Hi, Ashley. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing just fine. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you today. How's how's talking about the Nightingale been going? Have you been Have you had to like comfort people a little bit? 
conversations with the majority of people, I have to say I've been really impressed with the level of uh, interviewing. <laughs> Good. Well, that's great to hear. Uh, I'll try to get in line with that. Um, let me start here. I think that uh, you and Bakley, your co-star, until the end credits, I think are the only music in the movie. You're singing. Does that, does that seem right? Yes. There's a, I mean, I think there's a very well-used sound design in the film, but Jen um, decided not to have any actual music or score to it other than our, um, our singing and, and then, yeah, everybody really anyway, sound design. So tell me about those scenes, the the singing under duress, the singing under very serious stress. Um, how is that as an actor? Um, yeah, actually, the whole the whole um, journey of the song, shall we say, in the film was really interesting because I think for both, I mean, Claire sings more times than Billy does, but for both of them, you know, it's very interesting how. Well, colonialism, obviously, one of the things that colonizers will do is try and um, squash out the language, music, culture, dance, and obviously music and singing is such a huge part of cultural identity, and um, for Claire to initially have to do that because she's being forced into a position of doing that, um, so made to do it under duress was was one uh, experience of it. Then there's another moment where she's using it to, you know, comfort her child, and another scene where she's using it right when she wants to be fierce in telling Billy, like, this is who I am. I am not English. I am Irish. Listen to my song. Listen to my voice. Listen to my identity, essentially. Right. And then, you know, at the end, she is using it for herself. She's singing for herself for uh, as a moment of standing up to Hawkins, showing him, you know, you can do whatever you want to me, but you can't take away my my essence, my identity. I'm still here, and I'm singing this song for me, and for me only, and not for you. I'm kind of turning it back on him. I, I thought it was a really powerful moment, and, and the same is true of, you know, Billy's moment where he's singing on the beach, and, you know, he's, to a certain extent, got gotten some vengeance, and again, he's saying, look, I'm here like, I'm still here, we're still here, the people, and listen to our song. So I think it plays a really important message in kind of the expression of self-identity of, of and, and of culture. And um, it was interesting to kind of find Claire's voice because Jen didn't want, you know, her to sound too polished or, um, like, in any way kind of trained or any of those things. Yeah. So it was kind of a fun experiment trying to find Claire's voice not only just as her singing voice but also as you say in those different moments like how 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 we wanted those songs to uh sound emotionally as opposed to just from a, a an, an, an audio kind of point of view yeah that that progression hadn't occurred to me but the first time she sings I think it is introduced as well here's an English song for you English soldiers is that right uh, just exactly that that it's you know, she's being made to sing a song in English right. they can understand the kind of song that they would like, a kind of a jaunty song, even though she is definitely not living in a, a jaunty experience, you know, <laughs> and very much for their entertainment. Speaking of that not jaunty experience, I want to unpack a moment uh, really early in the movie that I that I liked, and it's just a split second. It's where Claire's walking with her baby, um, seemingly everyday task, and without very much ceremony at all, we suddenly see that she's brandishing a knife. Um, which tells you a lot about what's going on with her, what's going on with uh, Australia in 1825. Um, but it also made me think and want to ask you, Ashling, what 
what images, what backstory of this character did you have in your head from before the narrative of this movie kicks in? Because in this story, it seems like it could be depthful, quite a lot, maybe. Well, Jan had told me to read a book called The Tin Ticket, um, which is basically every convict that was sent overseas, they were essentially, you know, cataloged, um, branded with this number, and they, they had these tags. Um, and they were called the Tin Ticket. So um, it was a really interesting read. It's based on it's it's, a, it's based on the documents of three real women whose whose um, descendants can you know still be found in Australia now. Um, and and it was part fictionalized, but also you know um, using real uh, documents from where they came from and when they got to Australia, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So it was really interesting to read their stories because you know a lot of well, in the case of these three particular characters, and I kind of took a lot of inspiration from that, they would have been from very, very poor, very poor backgrounds, um, whether that be in rural communities or in towns. And I kind of had this idea of Claire growing up probably with, you know, I don't know, numerous siblings, perhaps either a mother who was working herself to the bone to kind of make some money and maybe an absent father or whatever it was. Mm. Um, but And then Claire singing for, for coins on the on street corners and stuff because there were a lot of young women and, and boys too but who would who did that you know to kind of earn some coins just for food or whatever it was um, in Scotland or Britain or, or um, Wales and Ireland so um, that's kind of the idea that I had and then you know she she like many convicts were sent over I this is what I decided for Claire you know she was sent there most likely for a relatively petty crime Mm-hmm. Um, of course, real convicts, you know, r- real criminals were sent over, you know, for abhorrent crimes, but a lot of them were sent over for survival crimes, so, you know, stealing bread, clothes, things just for survival. Right. Um, and they were, you know, sent to finish their sentences in Australia, but I mean, you know, <laughs> the people sending them there knew they definitely would never be able to get back. Mm. Um, it's just too far away. They were poor, literate, and uh, yeah, so it really was a sentence to just a life on the other side of the earth away from everyone else that you knew. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of, and I would imagine, you know, Claire got sent there pretty young, like I would say 13, 14, and that was not uncommon. Mm-hmm. I had a kind of a, a realization watching this movie, Ashling, that I, I sort of had to shake off as I watched it as, as Claire sets out into the wilderness. And that was that most of the time in film, when you see people tormented and victimized, it often endows them with a kind of like maybe, I don't know what you would call it, like a f- kind of flattening innocence almost. And so when Claire begins to talk to Billy as they strike out together, I was like, whoa, like this, do you mean that this, 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 this person also has like flaws? And it was kind of hard to share. And I wondered how you felt, how do you feel that movies like either do or do not train us to deal with a character as rounded as Claire, who's going through so many things? That's really interesting. It's actually one of the things that really stood out to me about the script right when I read it for the first time. You know, she again really treats not only the subject matters but also the characters and um, you know the, the time that they grew up in very honestly. So of course it's abhorrent, but Claire is a product of her upbringing, is a product of the society that she's in. Yeah, she is taught to view um, Billy as being less than purely because of um, the color of his skin, you know? And it's we clearly know that it's wrong and she's prejudiced and racist and that it's wrong, but 
she has to go on that journey of discovering just how wrong she is, you know. Um, and it's a very real arc because she would never have had exposure to it. She would have been brought up thinking a certain way. And it's actually only through her journey with Billy and, and you know, him treating her with respect and them getting to a point where they're able to care for each other um, that allows her to see that she was uh, really very wrong and ignorant. And, and the interesting thing is that, you know, with, with Billy, he has been subjected to so much trauma. He and his people have, you know, suffered at the hands of the colonists. And, and yet, despite the fact that he has been through all this pain and trauma, he is still able to treat Claire as a human being. And it's really that that I think enlightens her and forces her to choose humanity and ultimately save herself rather than go down the path of, um, you know, an eye for an eye and perpetuate the violence. So, you know, I think it's, it's it's hard to kind of hear a character that I suppose we're supposed to be rooting for right from the get-go because she's the protagonist be so awful with Billy. But, you know, I think we have to stick with her and realize, okay, she it, it's vile the way that she speaks to him, but she was brought up that way and doesn't know any different and has to really learn through experiencing um, his kindness and his, um, uh, I guess, empathy and respect, you know? How would you describe uh, a Jennifer Kent set, Ashling? Like, if she's giving you direction as an actor, what form does it take? What does she tend to ask for? I'm, I'm, I'm really curious what the kind of what conversations happen. Well, we had so much prep, uh, so I had a lot I, between getting cast and filming. I think nine months had passed, so within that time, we obviously did a huge amount of research and. You read I really educated myself on the historical context and the PTSD. Um, but on set, she focused very much on kind of, she would take you aside and focus on the quiet. She would just, I don't know how to encapsulate the kind of magic uh, directing quality that she has, but she would just know exactly what to say in the quietest, most, um, on a very intimate level she would she would just say the smallest thing that would remind you of I don't know like for example for me she would remind me of someone that I had met who had shared an incredible story right when I needed to think of that person and their experience and 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 just the way that she framed things would just spark a very real emotional reaction um, and I know the same is true with um, Bakley you know she would compare things maybe to his past or past trauma that he'd been through and 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 the same with me and. Um, she just knew exactly what to say to get a very truthful emotional response out of you. That was the that was the main part. And you know, then there were kind of slightly more I don't want to say superficial things, but things like um, you know, voice sometimes and where to place your voice or it to make to sound stronger or, you know, if she wanted it coming from a different place or um uh, yeah, she was just sometimes it would be a physical thing that would then inform an emotional yeah. reaction. So it was kind of it's tricky. Sometimes she would allow me to like push against her really, really hard so that I could, I, I don't know, I find that as an actor, physicality is very much linked to my kind of emotional response. So if I need to be in a heightened emotional state, I'll often need to do something very physical. Like sometimes I would just beat the hell out of boxing pads with the stunt, sure. <laughs> stunt coordinator or push really hard against Jen. Um, so she was, she would just do a whole host of different things. Yeah. I guess that's a, the, the sign of a great director. She would just, know what each actor needed and when and and kind of 
adopt. I haven't really I probably answered your question, but that's because I don't really know how to encapsulate what she was capable of doing. No, that's really interesting. Um, just to clarify, when you say push really hard against Jen, do you mean like like literally she's like letting you push her to get that emotional response in that moment, or you like, like you're you're talking? Yeah, talk- like physically. I wow. Mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she would do it emotionally too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she. I mean, sometimes if. if we didn't have time to kind of get the pads out and let me like beat the hell out of the stunt coordinator. Sometimes I would push against him, sometimes I'd be against them, but there were moments where, you know, maybe Sam wasn't there and it wasn't, it wasn't right for me to be doing that against Billy's character in the scene. So I would need it to come from an exterior source, but yeah. so that I could have it as an internal emotion <laughs> as opposed to being directed towards Billy. So yeah, sure. she would let me like push against her. Wait, so th- I, I just gotta know. So are you the one who broaches the subject, can I push against you this first time? Or Jen's like, hey, if you need to get where you need to go emotionally, feel free to like leverage your weight against me right now. Um, no, it was initially, I mean, it, I actually kind of had the realization during my call back with her. Um, I kind of said, can I just take a minute? And I just went outside and like sprinted around the place while I was out of breath and like lost it. And, and something about that, what the work that we've been doing in the room kind of just brought up a lot of emotion for me and then I thought oh I'm going to keep that going so I told Jen that that was helpful for me so we made sure that the stunt coordinator always had boxing pads like between yeah. Yeah, for example the scene with Jago where she's you know she's about to kill him that was definitely a scene in which I used the pads beforehand um, and, and then she saw me doing things like that with the stunt coordinator and with Sam. And so occasionally, if she was giving me a note right before going for action, she would give me a note, but also let me push against her while she was giving me the note, if that makes sense. So it was wow. all pretty full <laughs> uh, on. So intuition, adaptability, big Jennifer Kent strengths. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Definitely. And she also does not, she's also extremely sensitive. Um, very sensitive and and really thinks about the actors i mean just even the tiniest example of this is that she would have a clinical psychologist on set yeah when we were doing you know the very difficult um uh sexual violence scenes um so that was one way that she was i think that's just so wonderfully sensitive that she would even think to have that there for us as a kind of a, a safety measure and um, not just a practical safety measure but like an emotional and psychological one but um She's also completely uncompromising on the important things and on the authenticity of the story and stuff. Uh, and uh, and I think she she really, really, really knows how to push her actors. I don't think any of us have ever been pushed so hard before. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Actually, let me let me ask you that because I know that I've read you say several times that like the minute this script came across your desk, so to speak, you read the first fifteen pages and you're like, I this is I got to do this, I got to talk to her, I got to have this role. When it comes to a part with this much emotional and literary meat on it, Ashling, are you as a as a young actor out there? Are, are do you like wish for a part like this? Are you like I want to I want to see a script with this in it, or does it arrive in front of you and you're like oh I didn't even totally know I wanted this, but I do definitely want it. I definitely was at a point where I really wanted something that not only challenged me but also allowed me to kind of show that I could do other stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had been really lucky with the work that I had done, but I was playing a lot of teenagers now they were complex characters but I just kind of was at a point you know I, I play characters that are quite a bit younger than I am and I just at a point where I thought you know I, I really can play 
a woman, like, I, I just need to be able to show that. Mm. <laughs> um, and so when I saw this, I don't think I had quite imagined that it would be as great a character and, and as, as great, and I, I really do feel like it's important a story. Um, so that was just an added blessing, but I definitely did think, oh my God, like, I have to do this. I will fight to the death for this role. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really explain. I just had this really visceral reaction. I was like, this one's mine. <laughs> Uh huh. And then I just wanted to ask really quick. I just wanted to find a way to talk about Leanna Stark in a way that's not annoying. Did you know in advance of getting those, you know, what one to two minutes of screen time? Did you know that that would be the scene that would like freak out the entire fan base, or what did you, what did you know in advance? No, so I won't lie. I hadn't seen Game of Thrones at all before auditioning. Okay. So. I got sent the scenes to go put on myself on tape, and my poor agent, because he is a super fan, <laughs> and I knew, often when you get dummy scenes, you can kind of tell, because they don't quite make sense. Right, sure, um, I can imagine. And so, I knew that there was something definitely up about it, and I was like, what the hell? <laughs> and I don't really love get. I mean, I understand why they have to send dummy scenes for certain projects, but I don't love it, because I'm like, I don't feel like I can give a proper performance here, because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. I can't make it out from the script. Right. So I ran my agent and I was like, so, uh, can you help me in figuring out what's going on here? And he was like, oh my God. <laughs> so it was a massive spoiler for him. The poor thing. I ruined it like way before the episode came out. But um, he was able to kind of explain to me a little bit. You know, he had known about the theories of the et cetera, et cetera. So right. I had no idea. Wow. Uh, and even when he told me, I was like, all right, like, I don't, okay. I had never seen the series, so for me, it didn't really hold the same meaning at all. You were just a... And then once I started watching, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they talk about her a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're just like, I'm playing a young woman in love on her wedding day, and then it doesn't go well, and then I'm done. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Ashlyn, uh, congrats on this movie. It really, it's a tour de force performance, and I, I, I really hope that... Uh, it was rewarding as professionally as, as, as you talked about. So uh, pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for the time. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much.